So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Yeah, let me tell you something. So I am learning all types of new words. Like we're going to be in session. Class is in session. So Julie, what I think we're going to do this afternoon is we're going to have a very quick, there's no cliff note version. Uh, there's no syllabus. I, I'm one of them instructors. I don't pass out a syllabus. You're just going to have to grab a seat, grab the one without the desktop on it. You know, when you were in school, every couple of chairs was like broke, you know, a leg was shaky. The desk wasn't on top of the joint. We're going to have a quick session around the law. Are you familiar with the term advisory opinion? I am. Uh huh. So it's a formal opinion that Really, you could give like so. So here's an example, Julie. Do you have an opinion on organizations and their posture around or not embracing people with disabilities? Why I do. Awesome. So you would be able to sit in front of the uh, the Senate and you would say, you know, in my professional or even personal opinion, this is how I feel about that. Even if it was law, like for instance. Do you, Julie, feel like a supervisor saying the N-word to someone causes a hostile environment? Yes, I do. Awesome. I think this is, class is going, you are on your way to getting an A. This is like phenomenal. Julie, I, I think it's, so, you know, I think it's really incredible. And I try my best not to get involved in politics. Because it infuriates me from so many different angles. And as I'm sitting here watching this confirmation hearing, you know, over uh, the last couple of days, it amazed me how many times the phrase advisory opinion was uttered. And, and it wasn't too many. It's how she indirectly kept leaning on the same thing. I can't comment. I can't give a professional, not a legal not a moral, a professional opinion. Did you see any of this? Oh, dude, 
Come on. I, I've watched from beginning to end. <laughs> so you probably know far more than I do. I mean, how do you feel? Well, one, she is a force to be fucking reckoned with. She is a powerful woman. She does not get rattled. She does not get flustered. She is scary. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, the, the, well, why do you say that, though? I mean, wh- how do you know that? Do you know that because she had made a name for herself in the South Bend area well before this confirmation no. hearing? How, how do, how do you know that? So I don't know if you want, if, if you've watched other Supreme court justices go through their confirmation hearing, but if you saw the way that the senators were able to rattle Brett Kavanaugh, for example, get flustered and cry and emotional, right? All of those things that women do, air mm-hmm. quotes. Um, she has not been rattled. She's not been wavered from her no stance stance. And she has sat there and not even written a note because she knows exactly how she's going to answer. She knows exactly what's coming at her. She is probably one of the most well-prepared witnesses I've ever seen at that level of a hearing. So she is a, I mean, she is a, a woman as a, as a, as another strong woman, she is a woman to be reckoned with and she is going to be a terror for the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda on the court. You know, it was interesting because um, one of the things that came up yesterday when I was watching, or a couple of days ago when I was watching, um, they made mention to an AutoZone case, which was argued back in April uh, of 2016, decided on June of 2017, a little more than a year later. Uh, In in the particular case that uh, I'm, I'm speaking of, that AutoZone case, I'll give you the, the, the short version of it. Basically, an individual was a salesperson and he had been, you know, relocated to, to different AutoZone um, locations in and around, or I should say in the Chicago or Chicagoland area. And I think it was only like this fifth or sixth time that they said, you know, look, we need you to go over here. He raised a complaint with the EEOC. Um, and, and basically felt like they had moved him because they wanted that particular location where he was to have a salesperson representing that could speak Spanish or could communicate better with the clientele in the area. Uh, and so I won't go into all the detail around it. Certainly that was one of the cases that was raised or referenced during the Supreme court hearing. And I raised that in addition to the N word, um, you know, conversation that took place yesterday. And tying that to your point, you're right. I have not seen her put pen to paper in the, you know, several hours, you know, I only watched two, two and a half hours, but I did not see her pick up a pen or a pencil, an instrument of any sort once, not one time. And I did watch Kavanaugh and you're right. He was rattled. You are Mm -hmm. absolutely right. She did not write, at least not that I've seen. And she seems to be as calm as a cucumber, as they say. Yeah. 
or or as cold as ice, as oh, I would say. Cold as ice. Cold and, ice. So, <laughs> well, and before we move on from yeah. that, I just have to say, I there's one thing I want to get your opinion on. All right. So, she gave that opinion that using the N word for the AutoZone case was not a hostile working environment. No, just to be clear, just to be clear, the N word is separate from the AutoZone case. Oh, okay, that's just a different. To be clear, case. Just it's my fault for com, uh, com, combining the two. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so. She said in another case that the N-word is not or does not constitute a hostile working environment. Yeah. She is the mother of two black children. Yeah. What What the, like, I, I just, give me some opinion here because I was so freaking furious yeah. when I learned this and I see these beautiful children. She has a beautiful family. Yeah. And think that their mother could write that and not have any fucking understanding. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah, which is um, which is you know problematic for uh, a lot of individuals and myself included because I listen. I don't know South Bend. I used to live in Fort Wayne, and when I lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I must have been eight, nine, ten, something like that. So certainly a lot has changed. You know Fort uh, South Bend, Indiana, far better than I do. But but I got to tell you, I don't imagine two adopted children to a white family in what I assume to be a predominantly white area or certainly of some degree of influence, even if the area is not white, I'm sure the family lives in a area that has some degree of uh, affluence going to a private school or certainly again, a school with a little bit of diversity. Trust me. There is some runny nose kid running up and down one of them damn hallways that has came sideways out of their mouth to those children, period. It happens all the time, all the time. So I can't imagine as many black families that, you know, Julie, where you've heard people say we've had to have the talk. 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 I mean, it's like, Yo, we do commercials about the talk. There's no way. I, I just felt I felt like that was absolute exploitation when she had that family sitting there and said what it was that she said. And I swear I was hoping in that moment that her daughter would be like Kelly Conway's daughter <laughs> and put her mom on blast on social media, even if even if it was, you know, through a a shadow account. I just couldn't imagine that. Like she should have put out that little tweet that said, girl, you know, she should have did something. It, it should have been something, but uh, yeah, that's my opinion. I believe it's bull. I believe that she is painting that wholesome and that protected and beautiful picture. And again, just another extension of your observation around cold as ice. Yep. Cold as ice. Cold as ice. Uh, an update on Coinbase. I, feel like we talked about them. I, I might've talked about Coinbase on my show. I feel like we talked about Coinbase, but just for listeners who may not be familiar, a few weeks ago, uh, Brian Armstrong, Coinbase's CEO, uh, he put out a memo, a statement. He, he did something. I don't know if it was on the Coinbase blog or he did a medium post. He did something and basically said that Coinbase is going to be an apolitical organization. Not going to talk in the uh, company uh, 
much about politics. So when you're at the break room or in the lunchroom or walking in the corridors, we're not going to really have conversations around politics. We're not going to have conversations around social unrest and justice. And we're not going to, as an organization, make external statements regarding things that are happening. Again, social unrest, social injustice and, you know, stuff like that. Cool. He said, listen, how very white of them. Uh, how about that? So he said, listen, if, if that doesn't sit well with you, we will give you a severance because we do want you to come to work happy. I commended him on that. I said, listen, at least he's thoughtful enough that he knows it's going to ruffle some feathers. It, it, it's not going to, to land well with the entire employee base. So he said, let me put some dollars behind it and, and we'll, we'll send you on your way. Cool. So, so far, uh, about 60 or so individuals have left the organization uh, and they haven't been just low level departures. And so the update for me is that, you know, most recently their CCO left uh, the organization. That would be at some point this week. Um, They wrote a piece on who wrote this? I'm looking it up. Scott Thompson wrote a piece over on Stories Incorporated. Shout out to the entire Stories Incorporated team. Uh, he includes in such a couple of screenshots from some other individuals that have left Coinbase. Some of them have tenure, two years, three years, five years. So it's not something that, you know, is going to erode uh, the largesse of the uh, full time employees. But, you know, so far they're looking at somewhere between five and eight percent. And I guess the reason I bring it up, the question that I have uh, about all of this, and I'll make sure I put this in the show notes from Stories Inc. Uh, the piece that I have around all of this, and you hit it. What does the chief diversity officer have to say? What do the people that are running the ERGs have to say? How in the world is this possibly suggesting that Coinbase is a, you know, inclusive and belonging type organization? That's going to be diverse because I'm I'm just a little bit baffled by by this particular statement. And and Julie, they went so far as to say, you know, what this means really is you can't like talk about this stuff even in Slack. So it's like you're mutant voices at the door. I'm I'm really not excited about that. I'm gonna keep watching the story. Um, and if anything changes, I'll make sure we keep our audience updated. Yeah, they'll probably um, start advertising their new positions on uh, Unwoke HR. So I'm sure, oh, you know, oh, yeah, them. I'm sure Are you can find. Um, I think so. I don't okay. know. Yeah, they, they've got everything locked down. But yeah, yeah funny. Job, I, I, I was thinking about them a couple of weeks ago because we hadn't talked about them in some several months. And I actually thought about them. But to be quite honest, I couldn't even remember the name of the damn company. So uh, <laughs> that's what that was. But that's the update on Coinbase. You got something on Glassdoor. Give it to us. Yes. So last week, Glassdoor rolled out a new employer diversity and inclusion ratings tool. 2016. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, hey, you know what I was thinking we need the other day? Another fucking DNI distraction. 2016. That's <laughs> hey, so let me yes. tell you why I'm saying that. I'm saying 2016, and 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 I'm I'm actually kind of being funny because I learned a phrase uh, this week as well from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, interruption. Have you ever seen that phrase before? Man, you know, like mantles, panels with all men. They say mantles. Well, 
uh, back in 2015, 2016, she kind of uh, hit the phrase man interruption when men speak over individuals, man interruption. Anyway, 2016, <laughs> I, I'm cool with Glassdoor in this piece, but I talked about this with Glassdoor in 2016, Julie. It, yeah, I mean, it, but like, wait, what's the what's the point, right? I mean, how many HR pros are spending and wasting their time responding to Glassdoor response or to Glassdoor criticisms of their company when they could actually be changing things? And it's gonna, it's like just the same with DNI. It's like, how do we rate on comp and benefits with DNI? Like, what's the average employee that knows? what the other employees make and how that impacts compensation. Right. It's I mean, it just seems so silly. So you got it. So you have a different opinion. So you're not a fan of it then you're not a fan. You, you see it as being just kind of like another busy, you know, something to do, something to take up time. See, I'm cool with it. Like I'm cool with a glass door adding the ratings, you know, something to share with me that the organization is uh, inclusive. One uh, little side note, I said I reached out and was in conversation with one of Glassdoor's employees in 2016, and I'm not exaggerating. We, I'm, 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 I'm telling the truth. I have been pushing them, but I could not get these jokers to move. I'm trying to do the same thing now with another very large tech company. You know who it is. I won't mention it across the, you know, the 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 pod because I'm, it's a conversation that I'm trying to have. But I got to be honest with you, Julie. Even they right now in 2020 are acting like turtles and not moving. And so it's amazing to me. I think it's a great thing. Tell me about the organization. If I've worked inside of the Torinellis brand and his organization was was poop as it relates to you know, inclusion and belonging and equity. You had leaders that were, you know, disrespectful, um, inept, incompetent. I want to know that. And as an HR person, if I'm in the Torinellis brand, I want to know that. And I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to work hard at fixing. I am going to work hard at fixing my culture, but I'm also going to spend some time and go out and say, hey, Torin, you know what? heard what you said about the organization or read what you said about the organization. Sorry, you feel that way. Perhaps you and I can sit down and have a conversation. Perhaps this could have been something that we captured in an exit interview and we would have got to it before you even went to Glassdoor. So I think it's instructional all the way around on both sides that, you know, people use the the platform in, in, in that manner. Oh, I mean, fair enough. I I've never been a fan of Glassdoor, you know, it, they're owned by Indeed now, so I think they're looking at different ways to try to stay relevant mm-hmm. um, before they probably ultimately get shuttered under the Indeed behemoth okay. or behemoth. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just, even from a, a comment perspective, like getting the information, I think, is better than trying to rate out how diversity and inclusion is related to comp and benefits or, you know, like career opportunities, culture. Sure. I can get like kind of how we might be able to rate that, but it's like, they're just reaching for things. Um, but 
on that note, they did do a survey before they decided to launch this project product um, that I think had some some good information. So they said 63% of employees and job seekers felt their current employers should be doing more around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh-huh. And that Black and Asian employees and job seekers um, were the group that put the most emphasis on the value of a diverse workforce. Well, why do you think and- that is? Why do you think that is? The last know. point, you know, not, not, to, not, no, I'm serious. I want your opinion, you know, not the 63%. I love that number. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that number. But, but why do you think it is that black and Asian employees put more emphasis on the value of a diverse workforce? I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to step on my own tongue here. I assume for, you know, black employees, it means that there is going to be more opportunity and there's more, um, opportunity to rise, right? I'll take that. I'll take that. Asian employees, I'm I'm not really sure because I don't know a lot about about their their cultural beliefs in terms of diversity. Fair. I'll take that as well. You know, proximity is a, a beautiful thing and certainly when you have folks in the organization, you feel like your chances of being able to grow in the company are better. I I think one of the things, the reason why I'm asking it is because again, if you are inside of workplaces, Julie, and folks are constantly hitting you with microaggressions. And and by all means, listeners, I am not suggesting that that is 140 million of the 150 million people that are working, not in any way. You know, it might be 20 million people, but 20, 30 million people spread across this country. It gives them a large opportunity to be inside of a good number of our organizations. That's a fact. So the point for me is that I think when you look at and consider what the the uh, working relationships have been, what the climate has been, what historically has happened, whether it be around promotion, whether it be around being supported, if you are, are going after stretch assignments, if it is that individual who needs some help with, you know, uh, sales calls or or they're doing an incredible job of building their pipeline, but you know things may not be close, whatever it may be inside of an organization. If I can look across the room and see a familiar face, if I can look up the ladder of leadership and see a familiar face, complexion, if I can look on the website, if I can read a press release, if there's something that suggests to me that this organization cares about me and even if they're not doing right by me if i'm able to look around sometimes i have to challenge myself to say okay wait a minute is the organization not doing right by me because i do see a number of other people making things happen so is the organization not doing right by me or do i need to check myself and be more responsible do i need to pick up the pace a little bit do i need to contribute a bit more do i need to work a little bit harder so i feel like The reason why black and Asian employees feel like we should put more emphasis on it is because these climates have been messed up. And if you recall, it's been a while since we've been on in the same auditorium and I've been on stage. But I got a slide that says FVK your culture, like fix that culture, fix it. So I think that the reason why, you know, they're looking for Julie is because they just want to be in environments. Look, folks want to go to work and be happy. 
I want to come get busy with Julie. You know, we smiled before we started doing the pod and all that. I wish I could have repeated what we said, but we have a good time when we do what it is that we do. We don't really come into this thing all contentious and like, yo, this is going to be a messed up recording. Like, imagine that. Imagine us saying, damn it, I got to go record with her again. Oh, I got to sit with this clown again. I got to sit with Torn. You that ain't nothing, ain't nothing cool about that. So I just think more black and brown people feel like, yo, put some more folks in the building so I feel good about being here. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we know how we feel about Glassdoor yep. opposites. Yeah. What about you? What, what's next on our plate today? Yeah, so opposites do attract. Um, so how do you feel about diversity reports? Let's see if we can hit a home run on this one. Okay. In what context? So when we think about 2013, when tech companies started putting out the diversity reports, and have been doing it, you know, every year since more industries, more organizations are starting to do it. How do you feel about diversity reports? So I think that any company who takes money from the federal government, um, who's under affirmative action requirements should be legally obligated to publish those findings every year. I know, but see, you sound like, um, uh, Amy Coney (laughs) Barrett. I said, you feel how do you feel? I say, how do you feel about so that's that's the federal government contractors. You feel like they should put it out. But do you like them? Do you think they're valuable? Could you care less about them? Because, you know, they put them out. But does Julie read them? You know, that's what I'm on. Just how do you feel? So. Yes, I do read them when I see them, when I'm working with a new company, whatever that, you know, whatever I can find out, that's important to me. Um, I think that as a taxpayer, my dollars are going to these companies, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, and they should be living our American values, right? My values in in those taxpayer dollars. And so, yeah, it's important to me that they have to put it out. And it, it, it I think it's bullshit when companies, you know, kind of like the glass door thing we were just talking about. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I got a five rating or I got a hundred on my DEI, blah, big damn deal. Put out the hiring numbers. When I can see those and I can see them in context of the larger population, then I'm going to know how you're doing for real instead of the PR stuff. Yeah. So I got to tell you, admittedly, full transparency, I've had a change of heart on that. And and I've kind of moved around over the last several years. In the beginning, I was absolutely a fan of them. Somewhere around 2017, 2018 or so, I got frustrated with them because I felt like when people were reading them, they were kind of expecting, Julie, some magic to happen. You know, you got 60,000 employees. Your diversity is not good or your representation numbers are not good. It's going to take a lot to move that number when you are, are such a large organization. So I started to get frustrated, you know, 2018 or so, because I just felt like our relationship with that information was a bit skewed. But then, like you said, when I think about Glassdoor and the rating piece, when I think about being a candidate, although I am not one, but when I think about being a candidate, I'm like, you know what? I think I would like to know what does the organization look like? I think that's a part of the interview experience. It should be a part of the interview experience. And so 
my change of heart is back to in the beginning. I, I'd like to see them. I just know that I, I receive them differently now. So when you put them out, I'm not as critical. I'm not trying to jump on social media and say, oh, look at their, you know, representation numbers, only 3%. I expect it to be 3%. What I'm really looking for in the report is what are you doing? What are you doing to change what that representation number looks like? So recently, uh, 30 major companies, and this story is over in the Washington Post. It's actually titled, Urged to Back Up Pledges for Racial Justice, 34 Major Firms Commit to Disclose Government Workforce Data. Now, I don't know why they titled it that. That is like the unsexiest title of anything that I've seen on Washington Post uh, in the last, let's say, a couple of years. I'm going to have to reach out to Jenna McGregor. She wrote that. That title is whack. Urged to back up pledges for racial justice. 34 major firms commit to disclose government workforce data. That's the title. But inside of such, it talks about 30 or so major companies, including Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo. I pause for effect. General Motors and Target have agreed to publicly share their government diversity reports by early next year. Here's my question. Why does it take so long to pull the numbers out of the uh, system? It doesn't. It doesn't. Like, this is what I mean. This this is this is my background. It doesn't EEO okay. one report. Those things live in your in your HRIS system. The data gets extracted, and then you send them over to the consultants who do your statistical analysis on them and tell you where you're in trouble. That's that's why so take, the data the data is there. So take me back, take me back, because I've I've never been external. I mean internal. So take me back. We sit in front of an HRIS system, literally, Julie, how long does it take to pull the data out of that system? And let's just say a midsize organization, not even midsize, let's say a company with 25,000, 50,000 employees. How long does it take to pull the numbers out? As long as it takes to run a report. I mean, not, not, it should take less than an hour to run that kind of a report, depending on how many different systems you might use, right? So there could be different systems that you're pulling from. If you have different entities under a business, that kind of thing, that makes it more complex. But the, you do, if you're a compliance person, you do the same damn thing every single year. It's yeah. not like this has changed. It's yeah. not like, you know, EO1 reports, which is what they're releasing, um, is the same race and gender data we've been collecting for as long as I've been in this industry. And you have consultants who help you then go and make sure you're where you're at on your utilization rates and where you're in danger of being out of compliance. You're, I you're mean, absolutely right. That's it, right? Yeah. It's it, this is not rocket science. It's fucking math. Yeah. And yeah. there's you should be. They submit them to the government every year. There's no reason they shouldn't come out right after that. Yeah. So you hit it right on the head. The EEO one. Uh, report is much of what the article talks about, and it highlighted BlackRock, uh, which I'm surprised because BlackRock um, is one of the firms that agreed to show their report. And inside of such, uh, it reveals that in 2019, four of its 103 executive or senior level employees were black. That's like 
3.9%. I actually failed to do something in prep for the pod. I wanted to go out and do like a, a pay scale report. I wanted to do an industry report, but I got sidetracked on, you know, the number of executives and C-level people that are inside of uh, that industry, not just BlackRock, but that industry. But here's what's interesting for me, because Larry Fink, BlackRock's CEO, put out a report in December, his annual shareholder report. He put this out in December of 2018. And he actually said that we are going to look different five years from now than we do today. And so as a result of that, we're going to make diversity um, metrics important. I don't want to misstate what he said in the shareholder letter, but he spoke to it. And there were a lot of people in the industry who felt like he was abusing his position as the CEO. Like, how dare you? tell the leaders that they need to be focused on inclusion and representation. And then there was a swath of people in the space that said, congratulations, attaboy, hat tip. We love it. We appreciate what you, what it is that you are doing, setting an example, yada, yada, yada. So I hope that, you know, when I consider what he said in December of 2018 and think about where they were in 2019, which is only 3.9%, this is what I'm talking about when I say we are expecting too much out of these reports and we get you know, disappointed when the numbers are not where we want them to be. That suggests that in 2018, it was a number less than 3.9%. Because if you didn't tell people that they needed to be focused on it until then, they had all of last year. And then this article is just now coming out. It's October. So like technically we're in 2021. So in two years, they are at 3.9%. They got a lot of work to do. Same with Target. 40 of its 777 executives or senior level employees were black. 40. 40 out of 777. Now, let me tell you something. Only reason that people call it Target is because of black people. <laughs> you laugh. You know, good goddamn well I'm telling the truth. Only reason, the only reason we call it Tarjay is because black folks, you know, black folks put that spin on that joint, made it sound real juicy and sexy. Only reason, and they love it. Yeah. Morgan loves that. Oh, they yeah. love that. 40. Damn. 40. 50 were Hispanic or Latino. Total, 90 people. Out of 777. So we got work to do. And let's just do the work. What I'm looking for in these reports, not the obvious and the salacious numbers, because again, you can get frustrated on the number. You can do that. I'm looking for the action steps. I'm looking for them to reveal what are their steps? What is the organization looking to do to make progress around people with disabilities, around people on the LGBTQ spectrum? maybe single mothers that are coming from uh, under-resourced neighborhoods. What are we doing to set programs up for those that we could get skilled and bring them into our organizations, whether it be retail, whether it be finance like BlackRock and some of the other major organizations uh, that, that have agreed to, to start releasing reports. That's the reason why I'm raising this issue. I'm hoping that leaders, leaders decide that in addition to doing the report, that we'll focus heavily on what are we doing to make progress? Meanwhile, you got the Department of Justice investigating Microsoft 
for reverse discrimination. Did you see that shit? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, crazy. So, so you got yep. on one hand, you're working to try to release the report. You're trying to set, you know, some sort of a goal, some sort of a target, something that you want to achieve. You know, target is a great word. Got that from Carla Harris from Morgan Stanley. Target is an awesome word. It's a target. And then you got the DOJ saying, wait a minute, let's look at your practices to see if you are discriminating against white folks. Incredible. Like, if you don't drink and you read just some of the news, I mean, I'm telling you, you be on your couch, you know, with your shirt half button, you know, you, you got one leg, you know, one shoe around your ear with, with a glass of out. I mean, you'll literally be sitting there in the corner like, what is going on? Folks be tripping, man. Anyway, we'll put the link in the uh, show notes. Make sure you enjoy the, uh, um, I guess, the episode this week. Quick mention, <laughs> Com- Comcast Rise. Uh, make sure you go out to ComcastRise.com. I- I'm not going to tell you all about it, but what I am going to say is that Comcast is trying to do something. You know, a lot of organizations are trying to back up their statements around their importance of Black Lives Mattering and diversity and inclusion and recognizing the the social unrest and the lack of capitalization and, you know, black startups and black businesses. A lot of organizations are doing something positive. They're taking action. And I applaud every single one that has taken action. I'm not here to evaluate, to comment on whether they're doing enough or not. No, I just love that they're taking action. Comcast Rise Com. The applications are up now. So if you are a, a, a black or brown business owner or you know someone that is a black or brown business owner, point them to ComcastRise.com and let them see whether or not that's a, a resource that they want to try to take advantage of. Awesome. And uh, my name drop this week goes to the wonderful Oreos. Um as a being a woman of a certain age, I don't get to eat Oreos very often anymore, Torn. But um, I'm using this this week's name drop to go out and buy a package of Oreos because they had the coolest commercial that just came out this last week. Um, daughter brings her girlfriend home for the first time, all warm and and fuzzy, welcome into the family. Except for dad, he's kind of creeping around in the background, being a little standoffish. And I'm not going to spoil the ending, but he does a pretty cool thing at the end and really welcomes his daughter and her um, girlfriend, better half, however you want to call it, partner into their family in a very nice and and a little tear jerky way. So kudos to Oreos. It matters uh, that you care about LGBTQ inclusion and um, I'll I'll buy a pack of double stuff this week. All right, so that means I'm going to have to order me uh, a pack of Oreos as well. We're going to support. I'm going to check out the commercial. I haven't seen it as of yet, but I was going through some of our notes. You remember when we put that YouTube up? You remember the little pink character that got into the elevator and then they had to go off the elevator and nobody wanted to go to lunch with them? You remember that? Yep, yep, yep. That's what that makes me think of. So I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to go check that out. Um, so listen, Julie, you know, I appreciate you each and every week. Thank you for just contributing and making, you know, the pod something we are almost at our two year anniversary. Uh, so thanks for continuing to push through. Thanks for all of you that are listening. But of course, we ask that you share the pod. 
Like we got to grow the audience. And the only way that we're going to grow the audience is to keep doing what it is that we're doing. Or if you want us to do something different, take a shot. You know, you can draft us an email, shoot us a message on social media. You already know Julie's going to probably curse, but you know, if you want the safer route, you might hit me on the DM. Cause if you say something real crazy on the front side of social media, Julie might get you. Um, but if you want us to do something different, let us know. But share the pod with your tribe. In the words of B.B. King, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. At close, reminding each and every one of you to be a better human. To be a better human. For now, Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.